This is Lee Cook. Welcome back to Novelty Drive. This is the second time I've recorded this intro now for this specific episode because I I, I guess I felt the need to try to force some philosophical mumbo-jumbo out there because podcasts that I really enjoy and that I listen to start with these opening rants where the hosts go off on these uh, kind of tangents that encompass a, a worldview or something like that. And I realized um, I don't have to do that after – like I try to force one I don't because uh, I thought I should do that, and then I realized I don't have to do that. So I deleted that, and if – I mean there's a whole hour-long conversation that I have with people that um, – is a much more organic way for me to um, present those ideas or whatever I think, if if that's if that's really what I want to do. So I'm just gonna let you know my conversations speak for themselves, and I, I guess my intros will be more just that. They'll be intros. They'll they'll have something to do with the podcast. Part of part of the part of the whole thing with Novelty Drive is that I I want to document like the process of creating the podcast so instead of uh talking about some weird you know uh idea that i heard in a damian eccles book uh at length i can you know instead talk about the the creative process that went into this episode so that's what i'm gonna do i finally got art done um my sister debbie cook who is a badass photographer and um kind of photoshop person what's that called like a graphic designer type type deal um designed the logo that is uh you know the the picture of the the three-eyed wiener dog which is such a cool picture i love it she she really nailed it and i've been waiting for artwork so i can publish you need artwork to publish i have i have three episodes now that i like and i'm proud of and uh mix that with my artwork and now i'm i'm ready to publish so um, I'm really excited about that. This episode was so much fun to do. Um, my guest today is a musical artist named Mountain Holler, uh, government name Mark Etherington. He is um, based out of St. Petersburg, Florida. You can find his music on iTunes under Mountain Holler. We talk all about that. At the end of this episode, I have a song that I had to steal from YouTube and uh, put it on there, but I hope he doesn't mind me doing that or saying that. We had such a great time, I think, and um, it, it was really cool to bounce some ideas around. The whole booking process for this has been really, really interesting to see how it works. Um, some people reply and some people don't. Some people agree to do the podcast and then never reply back. Some people, you know, uh, sound really excited about it. And, and Mark was someone that um, sounded pretty excited about it. And um, I'm glad that I got to know him a little bit. Um, yeah, and some, some weird synchronicities popped up too. Like uh, we're, we both were kind of raised in the same neighborhood, which is interesting. And um, in, in fact, the house that I live in now is um right right next to uh, one of the houses where he grew up so it, it was just kind of interesting how that all played out um i really enjoyed this conversation i hope you enjoyed listening to it without uh any further ado 
engage that novelty drive. <laughs> Here's uh, Mountain Holler, Mark Etherington. Thanks. Okay, uh, this is Lee Cook. <laughs> Strong intro right there. This is Lee Cook. I probably just got done doing like my little mini other intro and editing into this, but now I'm in the amazing home of <laughs> Mark, whose last name we just went over, Etherington. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> also known as Mountain Holler, who is a St. Pete native or Tampa area native, St. Pete local. Um, what what kind of genre of music would you describe that as? I've been I've been calling it like al- just alternative folk. Alternative I, folk. Yeah, I think alternative is the best vague term to describe that kind of music, I guess. But it it almost has like a psychedelic quality to it, though it's not. I mean, not almost. It definitely has like a psychedelic-y sounding quality to it. I wouldn't even like just calling it folk almost seems whitewashing it yeah. a little bit. Um, but anyway, he's a, he's a local musician who makes amazing music. And I, um, I actually was a audio engineer for one of his sessions with WMNF here in Tampa. And I started following him on Instagram, became a fan of his music. Uh, and then when I started this podcast, I reached out and he was super cool about, meeting up and invited me over to his house and three for three is actually giving me the equipment necessary to record so yeah he's producing this podcast as well (laughs) on the old home laptop yeah i'm glad that we i'm glad that we could do this and it worked out like i really enjoy i enjoy listening to podcasts and like i love being involved in podcasts i also love just genuine conversation yeah you know and really enjoying um kind of being one-on-one with someone that i really don't know at all you know like yeah. you, you and i this is the longest you and i've ever spent talking or communicating sure. or hang out you know For sure cool. and it's it's there's definitely something weird about just walking into someone's house and setting up microphones and then yeah re- recording hoping something happens but um like i said i'm i'm a real big fan of your music and everything um you have such a unique style, especially your voice, like your your singing voice is so strong and unique and it doesn't it doesn't I wouldn't picture your face when I hear <laughs> your singing voice. Yeah. And uh-huh. I just did it take you a long time to develop like it's that unique style, that thing that is you that you're given like I, I out mean, into the world? Yeah, I think I mean, I'm definitely still developing it. Like, I, even this year, I've been recording myself a lot this year, and I'm listening back to recordings I've done in the past month versus, you know, like back in February or January. And how I'm singing has changed. And I, for the better, I think. And it, it took, I think what I'm doing consciously or unconsciously is stripping away at trying to sound like someone else. You right. Know, like trying to, trying to emulate all these other wonderful singers I admire and just doing tuning into my body and figuring out the best way to utilize what I have rather than like pushing it to sound like something else. Um, and that has taken me a while because I wasn't really confident in my singing voice. I still get weird about it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, 
I'm pretty critical myself and I think all artists are or anybody that's indulgent in their own kind of uh, unique stylings of whatever it is that they're doing so I it de- it's definitely taking me quite a few years to like take a back seat to choosing what I want to sound like and just submitting to like what it is I actually have to um, work with like the yeah. balance between yeah. your ideal sound and what it is that you you can actually do yeah I stopped having expectations for what I wanted to sound like and I just kind of I'm just rolling with what I got you know yeah yeah that's awesome that's like I I'm doing this now but I I don't really perform music or anything but I write a lot of music hmm. and you definitely it's something as simple as when a song comes on the radio by like if a queen song comes on or whatever suddenly everyone wants to sing like Freddie Mercury like they the same little accents and the same voice yeah. inflections and stuff so even just like playing a cover song people have a tremendous time stripping down what they think it's supposed to be mm-hmm. before they add their own little twists so yeah make it make it their own kind of own it a little bit you know, one of my favorite quotes is good artists borrow but great artists steal <laughs> and i think that is super important in the musical world because like no matter how much you want and desire to sound like Robert Plant, you will never sound like Robert Plant because only Robert Plant sounds like Robert mm-hmm. Plant. It's the height of his body, the breadth of his chest, the resonance of his bones, you know, the amount of booze or cigarettes he smoked on that particular day, you know, what, what kind of food he ate that day, what kind of, you know, there's so many variables. To, and this is something I'm learning is like there's so many variables to how your voice sounds with singing voice and you know the temperature of the room you're in it's fucking it's it's really it's really awesome getting to like learn my body that way but what's great is that like if you emulate that in like an honorable sense like in a tribute sense and then try to sound like robert plant enough times in a genuine way you're going to develop your own style yeah you know what i mean and like i can hear artists from the 80s like the hair metal bands of like the early 80s that i could tell were trying because you know trying to emulate zeppelin and i could hear it i'm like oh that's like he's doing robert plant you know and it's something that i i like i'm conscious about but still understand that like you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ever think that i have (laughs) <laughs> the capabilities of having the range or vibrato or control as Freddie Mercury. Right. Like that's ridiculous, you know, like, however, I will emulate certain techniques or like, m- not mannerisms, but like vocal mannerisms. Right. Like, audible mannerisms. Oh, I like when they swell their voice this way. Right. Now I can learn how to, it's like, uh, you know, like when you, when you read a music, voice. they have different, yeah, like accents and articulations Notations, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, totally. And it's like, yeah, I, I, like that's you know, I think that's what really drives into creating a unique styling is taking a lot of things you admire from a lot of things you admire in your artistic world and then kind of mashing that together and making it your own. One the you have such a strong like um reverby type sound when you perform like the your it's not just your voice and your instrumentalists and your instrumentals that are great, which they are, 
but you like your processing to the song mm. has like a very distinct mountain holler feel um i've never like anytime i play guitar sing or anything it's all just straight acoustic yeah like no no processing at all so i'm i'm curious how the the thought like how you discover like oh i like this effect or, or i i think it would be cool to add this to the guitar or whatever can you can you kind of talk about how you discovered yeah those preferences sure yeah so i've always been i've always really liked the feeling of when you hear someone singing in a big space um it it's so transcendental and i think it comes from spending time being raised catholic and spending time in catholic churches and i mean i remember being really young because uh, I was born in Connecticut, and I remember being very young in this Connecticut cathedral that my family used to go to, where I was baptized and my brother was married, um, and kind of not caring about anything else that was happening except for when the choir started singing. And I, I remember the alertness I had of me listening and how powerful that was and just how beautiful it was. I think, you know, I think there was like the beauty in it and, and it's really hard to describe, but I've always just really enjoyed not only listening, but singing in a space like that as well. So then that kind of led me to finding out about reverb, which this is like a long deep seated thing, but my neighbor of mine growing up in players club, coincidentally where you and I both. Yeah. It's side note. We, we both, have ties to the same little neighborhood, which is incredible. Really yeah. We're cool. like a street away from each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she brought over this karaoke machine cause she was, I was like always making bands when I was a kid and like, you know, recruiting my neighbors to play instruments they couldn't play. Um, but a neighbor of mine brought over her karaoke machine, which was basically like a two tape cassette player with a microphone on top of it. And it had like, play record rewind fast forward and then I had like a reverb and a delay knob and I remember like turning both of those up and talking into it and just like being fascinated by that effect I was like whoa like this kind of mimics that Mm -hmm. this mimics that sound that I admire so much and so I've always pertained that towards my music a because I think I sound better with it and B, like, you can do so much more in a larger space than you can when everything is completely dry in a closed room, I feel. I feel like you can really manipulate an environment w- that has a bunch of reverb in it or is extremely spacious. And so I, I pertain that to my music because I think it not only makes it sound larger, but I've, it, it makes it sound like it's coming from somewhere else. Like, if you're sitting in your car and you're listening to the radio, you know, whatever you're hearing, it's like, um, in my car, listen to the radio. I'm hearing the spaciousness of my car mixed with the compression and whatever effects this music has in my car. But I feel like if you drench something in reverb and balance that room, like I try to do in recordings, and then go listen to it in different places like your car, I, it can take you out of that. At mm-hmm. least that's kind of my, my process with myself, you know? I think that's probably, yeah, uh, it's probably actually pretty sound logic, too, because if you think about how sound waves work, you know, like higher frequency sounds versus lower frequency sounds, the amounts that they have to travel 
is going to super different. Yeah, it's going to give you mm-hmm. the full effect of that sound. So, uh, yeah, and like exactly like you said, it does sound like it's coming from somewhere else. It's it's like a what's that word? Eth- ethereal, 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 ethereal. ethereal. There it is. It's a word that I only ever read, but I never say out <laughs> yeah, loud. Yeah, right. Ethereal. Yeah. Um, I so I record everything myself, and I have I basically have built rooms using different reverbs and delays on my laptop, and most of the time when I've recorded like the EP, the Entheogen EP, you've heard, mm-hmm. that was me like in a dark room, my bedroom, or you know wherever I was, super dark with like maybe a candle or two lit, with headphones on. Um, trying to build a space with my eyes closed trying to imagine myself sitting in a cathedral or oh, a cavern you know mm-hmm. so there's there's specific that's awesome yeah like there's specifics to how i want my guitar to sound because i don't have blanket levels for everything like the guitar the effects on the guitar are vastly different than the effects on my vocals mm-hmm. or any sort of other instrumentation i have coming in um so it's it's you know it it should feel like and if you listen to it with headphones on I do a lot of like r- spacious panning mm-hmm. too for certain parts or I'll throw double tracked vocals out in corners and yeah it's in, it's intentional to kind of put you in like my room you know mm-hmm. the room where my ideal space for being able to play live for someone yeah which would be a cathedral or a, you know yeah. a cave or some place <laughs> that's really cavernous you know Awesome. It's cool too that you said, um, and I think it's the same way with a lot of people that you said you had like a little tape deck or whatever that had reverb on it yeah, as, a, little, as a little karaoke machine. And I think that's how so many people that make art or whatever, they just like have these lo-fi little, you know, it's what you have at your disposal as a kid. And like, yeah, it, it's, you're lucky to have had that flame ignited in your brain because i don't think a lot of people have you know even a little karaoke machine with reverb on it and then you're like oh wow that's something at my disposal to create and that's the same reason why i love like podcasts because i just happen to have you know microphones that yeah you can you can create it's i'm I'm glad that that's like your origin of (laughs) discovering that sound yeah i mean it's essentially like tools right you know like you're discovering new tools and I think that that is super important for any artist, whether it be a visual artist who discovers new types of techniques, whether it be on how to translate lighting or depth or, you know, you and I who are involved in the audio realm of our existence, you know, discovering new tools. Like when you, you know, you can, you can have a piano in your house the entire time you're growing up and then someone puts a synthesizer in front of you and you're like, oh shit. Like, yeah. It looks the same, but it's, it's whole different totally different world you know and that's why i i think you're right i think a lot of artists do have these lo-fi kind of beginnings because they're a childish in nature right and we all start i started as a child you know like doing this sort of thing you know i'm given a toy karaoke machine it's Mm -hmm. got this effect that some guy in some room is like well that's musical reverb throw it on there the kids like delay so like make it sound fucking whatever so and i and i kind of try to keep that same beginner's mind towards what I'm doing so I don't ever overlook a potential opportunity to like discover something new right you know um that's kind of how I treat open tunings I play with 
two to three different acoustic guitars on stage um and each one of them is in a different tuning and i think i don't well i i like involving myself with different tunings because it provides me different spaces to work with Mm -hmm. you know different keys or even different resonances of different guitars and it's uh, I, i never mess around with different tunings but it's almost what i imagine is like you when you conquer a rubik's cube it's like suddenly now you get a different shape with a bunch more colors on it because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I figured out all the patterns of standard tuning. I know where the chords are. I know what the scales are and everything like that. And so to kind of like, uh, I, I guess I can see how it could force you into, you know, reworking your your brain to figure the puzzle out in a different way, which has yeah. got to open up new avenues of creativity. For sure. And you said the the word that I was thinking which was puzzle and it's like music has always kind of been that way for me I started off as a drummer um you guys can't see it but there's two drum sets behind yeah, us this in this apartment we're in this he says apartment but it's like a we call it the loft yeah it's like a new girl loft with <laughs> just covered in sweet instruments and sound gear and dogs and Beatles memorabilia it's pretty some succulent pretty pretty great succulent space. table. yeah this is we're really fortunate to be in this um in this spot it's pretty it's pretty whimsical yeah you know this is i mean what me with my limited interactions of i mean my one interaction of you where i didn't even talk to you i was just like coiling wire and yeah. i heard your music this is pretty much where i would imagine that you would live yeah you know? <laughs> like it's, it's perfect cool but yeah i mean like as far as like puzzles go and i was thinking about this when you were talking about it like when I first started playing drums, I had a very basic drum set. You know, I had a kick, a snare drum, two rack toms on top of my bass drum, a floor tom, hi-hats, and two cymbals. That's all I had to work with, right? So that's, what, fucking seven different things, eight different things to work with to make patterns out of nothing and mm-hmm. to take on influences. And then it's like, well, let me introduce another symbol or let me introduce another Tom or let me introduce a cowbell or a, cr- a China symbol or some other type of effect based percussion instrument. Well, now I've just included a whole new variable, a whole new tool towards incorporating into these patterns that I've been building, you know, consciously in my head. And that's in my, that's kind of what music is like to me and how I kind of view my compositions. It's like, what other variable can I introduce to this equation that is going to genuinely boost the greater quality of the final answer mm-hmm. of this, you know, so variables problem I'm trying to figure out, you know, not solve, but just figure out. Yeah, for sure. And like to expand off that, not only, not only are there all the, you know, effects pedals and everything that you probably have on your like, I don't know what it, like your pedal deck or whatever pedal board, yeah. pedal board and then all the drums that exist and everything but now MIDI is at such a I don't know if you ever mess oh, around yeah. with MIDI at all but it's at there's like a MIDI controller to fit every style and every need and you could you could have like an electric slide whistle that triggers like yeah. chopper sounds and stuff it's it's wild man it's the future you know it's yeah we're embarking on this path with musicality and technology that's it's changing music you know what i mean i mean it's it's no different than pink floyd discovering synthesizers or the theremin invented in the 1920s or Mm -hmm. you know i think 
we just like we, we use technology for everything to progress as, hu- as humans through humanity technology is really expanding the capabilities that humans have to making new different types of music yeah and it, just as like podcasts are gonna be ev- everyone everyone whether you're getting paid for it or not can be a musician and can have a podcast and can oh, yeah. like paint or like right, yeah. there's there's so such an endless stream of possible artistic output which makes it for me um more impressive when you're able to say quit your job your full-time job or whatever and then turn the art into your full-time gig mm-hmm. and like sustain a living from that um which you seem to be doing well enough are well you enough yeah <laughs> i'm getting by well yeah i mean that's that's the goal yeah but what what i mean to say is like what where do you think the the benefits start to outweigh the cons to give you the courage to make like a decision to now devote full time to essentially entertainment yeah to make the the plunge right yeah that's I think that's different for everybody because it depends on what how you envision yourself. For me, I for me the transition came because I stopped. I was I was slowly becoming unable to see myself living in that type of lifestyle anymore and more and seeing myself more often and living an artistic-based lifestyle. And that's different for everybody, but essentially I was I was losing my identity with that and gaining an identity with this. Mm-hmm. I was I was breaking a side of myself that was feeling okay to have a 9 to 5 full-time extremely routine life. And more so not even desiring but just identifying with more of having a not so routine life but a life that was pursued strictly on making music and playing music and uh, indulging in music and indulging in the lifestyle of, of, of a musician and an artist and someone that's got to fend for themselves. Um, I, it's very difficult to wake up every day and go to the same job. It's, it really is, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. and I know, Millions of people struggle with that. Some some people, that's what they need. That's what they want. That's their life. It f- works for them the best way possible, and they're happy. And some people are not. And I kind of got fed up with being unhappy. And I got fed up with knowing that it wasn't for me and not doing anything about it. Did any Has anyone in your life told you, like, this is an option that you could do? Not, No. No, because, like, the the one person that ever said anything to me that I always stuck with me it was my mother. And she always said, I remember being a kid, I was, like, seven or eight, and I was probably bitching about something with, like, friends or something. She was just like, you know, Mark, you never, you should never have to do anything you don't want to do. And I don't even remember the context, but I just remember that. You don't ever have to do anything you don't want to do. And that's the truth. 
You don't have to get up and go to a job you don't like. You don't have to be in a relationship with someone that you don't want to be in a relationship with. You know, I don't have to sit here and talk to you. You don't have to sit here and talk to me. But we, we make these decisions. And unfortunately, we've been so trained by status quo, our, our generations that came before us, to think that we need to. And that's the greatest struggle and delusion of all, is that you don't. You don't have to fucking do anything you don't want to do, ever. You don't have to take a shit if you don't want to. You probably should. <laughs> you know, there's certain things that you probably should do. Like, I should probably find a way to make money. Not to interrupt you, because I love what you're saying, but... <laughs> there's this video that I saw on Facebook and it's like some kid on Xbox live or something. Yeah. And he's recording the audio and some other kids, like he just hears the audio from the other kid's headset. And it's the kid's mom being like, you gotta get off the Xbox and take a shit right now. <laughs> Go take a shit. Get off the Xbox and take a shit. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the context of it, but, but that's that, that kid, kid being not like, want to No, He's like, I want to fucking play Xbox. This is what I want to do. I'm going to take a shit for you. I'm going to ignore my body. You know, but that's the thing. It's like I finally got to the point. I, I turned 31 this year. Um, I've done some really cool things in my life time so far, this time around. And I was a warehouse manager for a small corporation, a great company, great owners, great employees. I really admired the CEO and his brother who, I mean, they're, it was just such a cool company. I won't go into too much detail about it, but... Um, and I was really thankful for getting the position that I had and, you know, it gave me money in a time when I needed money and it gave me stability in a time I needed stability. And it gave me, I was working by myself in these two warehouses responsible for a lot in a position I'd never really done before. And I really loved it, but I had this one day, man, I don't know why, but I had this vision of myself in my like fifties still in a warehouse working for someone else in a job I didn't want to be at unhappy. I just like, and I don't know if it's my overactive imagination, but I got really scared because of the, the reality of that, you know, the potential, the potential reality of that, you know, that if you don't ever take chances in your life to embark on things that you feel you need to do you're gonna end up you know, and there's nothing wrong with that if you're happy about it you right know? yeah nothing is wrong unless you're hurting other people doing what makes you happy there's nothing wrong with that and that's i think the only thing we ever want for ourselves and for the loved ones is just like do the things and be around the shit that makes you the happiest and i knew that i was going to be broke i knew that i was going to be tough i knew i was going to struggle and i knew that it was going to be solely on me but i decided to do it because I would rather live through those struggles and potentially grow than not and always wonder what if you know yeah perfect beautiful answer um if there's a question that I asked (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's so crazy to me that exactly what you said I think about all the time people like when I when I was in high school I had no idea what I was going to do. I thought maybe I study. I go to college for music now. You do? Yeah. Where at? I go to Full Sail. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, th- oh that's why you were in Orlando. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sh- that's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I like it. It's it's perfect for me. Um, People say what they want about Full Sail. I, I fucking love if it. If it's perfect for you, then yeah. who cares? Um, But yeah, so when I was in high school, 
I had no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated. I knew that you're supposed to go to college and stuff. Yep. So like I applied to college and then I didn't go and then I ended up going to a technical school and I was like, why am I going to a technical <laughs> school and dropped out of that? And like in between all that, I had told people like I love music. I want to study music. But like if even one person had told me that you was can do that, yeah, then uh, my life up to this point would have been. I mean, I don't know what it would have been. It could have potentially been a lot easier than it has been up sure. till now. But, uh, I mean, I'm thankful for uh, to be where I am now. But, yeah, it's so crazy that no one, no one just tells you, like, what's the thing you want to do? Okay, yeah, go for that. You can do that. Yeah, yeah that, that was the beginning of your question. And that's true, man. No one and – I, and I, like, I still sit, in, you know, in my head and I'm like, fucking just someone tell me what I can do. Someone tell me how to do this the right way. But if someone would have came up to like 18-year-old, 19-year-old Mark, 18, I went to my first music festival. I went to Bonnaroo in 2006. I actually just uh, went and was an intern with Clean Vibes at Bonnaroo oh, this year. Oh, sick. My yeah. first one, super cool. Yeah, man, I walked into Bonnaroo Center the first time, and I was like, holy shit, how do, how do I do this? How do I, how, do I, yeah. how do I make this work? How do I play these types of things? And if someone, if I would have ran into someone who would be like, all right, man, like, you want to do this? You want this to be your life? Do X, Y, and Z, and get these things in order, and start here. But these were all things I had to figure out for myself. And I, I definitely have had some really awesome mentors in my life, whether or not they've even known it or not. Yeah. And most of them, primarily all of them, have been my peers. Mm-hmm. And the people I looked up to, you know, when I was just starting playing you know music out publicly and you know i didn't start mountain holler didn't come into fruition until 2012 but i've I've been playing music since i was 10 you know and i played drums in a in a band for a long time we toured all over the u.s and into canada and went to europe you know i've been noticing this about drummers people musicians that are former full-time drummers oh it like if they keep playing music eventually blossom into like amazing singer songwriter front men types yeah like you're you're the like fourth or fifth person that i've noticed that about like in the last week really? like father john misty started out as a drummer josh Tillman, um, yeah emo emo lamos from holy sons i think he started out as a drummer and he has like a pretty decent solo career dave Grohl, dave Grohl, dave yeah. Grohl yeah dave Grohl. well i think what it, so for me it was like i started playing drums when i was 10 picked up the guitar when i was 12 and that's an interesting story how i even got into playing guitar i don't know if we have time but um i'll, I'll skip we it got, no. we got literally all unless you have like anything i got reher- to do. i got homies come over at six to rehearse and that's it okay we're, we're good um but uh no so anyways like drums were what i could do during the day after homework before dinner right and then after dinner i could play guitar because it got too late i wanted to make noise so i would sit in my room and i would play acoustic guitar and it was like i almost developed I developed more of a uniqueness with my acoustic guitar playing because it was what I did strictly alone. Mm-hmm. Drumming, you always play with other people. You always play along to things. But with my guitaring, uh, guitar playing and even singing and figuring out melodies, that was just strictly me alone in my room. And I, th- I think that was probably the same thing for these other guys who did it. It was like drums were like the external thing that we could do with our buddies and jam in the room. And everyone needs a drummer. And if you can play and you're lucky enough to have parents that buy you a drum set, you know, but 
at least for me, my path basically went like, well, I want to be, I want to share these songs I've written. Like I can drum. It's an athletic thing. It's a patternized thing. I'm not the best drummer in the world. I'm not bad. Um, but I never felt as if I was like, oh yeah, I'm like totally a drummer. I'm totally going to do this for the rest of my life. What I was the most passionate about heartfelt was writing songs and playing guitar. Cause I felt like that's how I could truly express myself. You know, I could get out the anger playing drums, but I couldn't, couldn't formulate my thoughts and emotions and compartmentalize them and figure them out and translate them on drums. Do you ever feel like, um, why the fuck would anyone care about how I feel? Like if you write your feelings totally. down in a song, like why is anyone listening to this? Why 100%. are people clapping? Who's, who's what, what gives me the right to like impede on these people's lives? Yeah, no, I think about it all the time. And I, and I think about that when like, it's weird. It's a weird feeling when someone, it's a weird feeling and a, and a phenomenal humbling feeling when someone comes up to me and it's like, yo, you know, I was really touched by your music. Your music helped me get through this or like made me cry. I listened to my car, you know, like when people identify with what I, with my channeling of whatever it is, you know, I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, that's the kind of validation. But like at the end of the day, the reason why I don't think about that too much, like, well, why the fuck do people care to come listen to it? Is because I'm not doing any of it from for anyone else. You just like doing it. I'm doing it for myself. Yeah. You know, I'm. I write songs, and I, s- I write the songs that I do, and I write the lyrics that I do, and I sing the things that I do the way that I do because that's what I need to do for myself to figure it out, wherever the fuck it is I'm going through, or to fulfill some thing that I need to do with the capability of doing it. So, you know, I definitely have my doubts about if anybody wants to hear it, you know, I, it fills my heart with joy when people come to my shows. It makes me super happy to see the same people at my shows over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then people I don't know, but that will never be my main drive for playing music. My main drive will always, it's because I, it's what I want to do. It's what I have to do. You know, Cool. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something about that. Why does anybody give a fuck? <laughs> yeah, but... Like, how do you feel about, like, doing this podcast? Do you have that feeling, like, too? Like, why yeah. do, Why would anybody ever listen to this? <laughs> well, yeah, but with, with a podcast, it's kind of... For me, I guess it really is the same thing, because so far I've talked to three people that I genuinely... Uh, you know, I'm, like, a, at least nominally a fan of. Sure. You know, the not even nominally, like the work they've put out, I am a fan of. So I've got to talk to three people that, you know, I'm interested in. Yeah. And it's this this podcast. It's called Novelty Drive. and Which is a great name. Thanks. Oh, it really is. It's a cool name. Um, And I haven't, I haven't quite been able to, like, express perfectly what it's about yet. You know, I'm still so new to it. But part of it is definitely the bubble that exists around me and this person that I am interested in right. that that I otherwise wouldn't, you know, have a chance to talk to. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, I I, I definitely understand what you're what you're saying. It it gives me tons of joy to listen to it or to to make it and I haven't even released any of them. Like I I really don't care if people <laughs> listen to it or not, you Sure. Know? Well, I think it's like you, you make art. I'm going to call a podcast art cuz I think I think conversation is an art form. You make art because you need to because you're an artist. And then if someone else appreciates it, sick. Like, that's yeah. like a fucking cherry on top. That's even better. 
And then if a lot of people appreciate it, oh, that's even better. Oh, people want to give me money for my art. Oh, that's even better because now I can afford to do more of what I want to do, you know. And that's kind of the cycle. And it takes sometimes it happens quickly with people. Sometimes it takes fucking years and decades. And you may not even know what this is about right now, but just the fact that you're going to keep doing it, that's what matters. Yeah, and it's almost like um, you're you're this might be a really selfish way to say it about the artist. I'd like to give the artist more credit than this. But for me, it's almost like your art is an avenue to manifest the life that you desire for yourself. Yeah, so Ooh, that's a good way to put it. So yeah. it's like you, if I if I keep creating this podcast just constantly, even if nothing happens for 10 years, but I keep making it dedicated the same amount for 10 years, eventually something will happen with it. Right. And that, so the act of doing it is manifesting the 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 world where my existence is sustained by doing it or and and then i can spend the rest of my time doing the other things i like doing like Mm -hmm. canoeing or whatever it's like the old the old saying well that's not really old saying it's like when you ride a bike and you when you and you're gonna hit it if you look at a tree you're gonna hit the tree right yeah 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 you're totally right man and like you are doing it you know like just you sitting down with me and setting up and recording it like that's doing it You're, you're setting out on the path that you want you know and, you know, it's kind of the old adage, like, you know, fake it till you make it. Right. Like, like, I I know that if I keep doing this, I know, I innately know, I have the utmost submitted faith to knowing that if I just don't stop and I keep indulging in my art and what I feel to be right and on this path, that I will end up with a life that I not only wanted, but probably greater than I could have ever conceived. Mm-hmm. And something I've learned from watching documentaries, reading articles, listening to podcasts with legends of the music industry or legends with anything else, you just don't stop. They all say the same thing. Just don't that's, stop. That's Pers- exactly what I was just thinking. Sorry to interrupt you. No, yeah. Um, I don't know if it was you listened to that sample that I sent you. I don't know if it was in there, but Craig, the manager at WMNF, when I was talking to him, he was saying singularity of purpose. That's that's the thing that mm, that's awesome. that uh, you know, separates y- having an interest in doing something and being professionally sustained or whatever right, by yeah. doing the same thing. Just singularity of purpose, which that's e- I mean, I can I can bullshit all I want, but that's where I'm struggle like lacking in my life. I don't sit down and practice guitar hmm. several hours every day. You right, know, yeah. I don't spend the rest of my time practicing my piano scales. I I go to class and I do my homework and then I'm like, well, maybe I'll <laughs> email someone about a podcast if I have the energy. You know, yeah. so. But I mean, this is you're 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 starting off by creating and engraving habits for yourself mm-hmm. that pertain towards the thing you want to do, and you know what I mean. Like for me. I constantly have a guitar out, you know, there might be a couple days where I go without playing guitar, but on, on the average, I at least have a guitar in my hand at some point during the day, even if it's just noodling around, I, I just engage with it. I engage with music. I engage with something, even if it's me listening back to, you know, demo recordings on my phone, it's, it's me engaging in that or sitting down and updating my calendar or answering an email 
anything that pertains towards the mm-hmm. endeavors of this name Mountain Holler, which is a branded product that I am using to channel my music into society. If I engage in it once a day or an entire day, then that will continuously build upon those habits of doing that for longevity's purposes. Yes, yeah, I agree. And it might it might sound like I'm that's that's that was like a good scientific explanation to it and this might sound more woo woo or whatever, but <laughs> you're like you're you're putting it out into the universe as a thing that exists. And the more that you insist that it yeah. exists, the more you'll see its reflection all around you. Um I wanted to talk to you about the name Mountain Holler. Yeah. Because and now that we're talking about mana manifestation, it seems perfect because you know, words are powerful and names are powerful mm-hmm. to a lot of people. Having giving something a name, like if you give an animal a name, you're not gonna eat that animal more than likely. So how did you, how do you come up with Mountain Holler? Where where does that come from? Mountain Holler came as a joke. Oh, the okay. name came as a joke. Um there's a cat named Ryan Zara who's a videographer, filmmaker. Do you know him? Um, no, he, he lives I, in. St- I, I didn't realize that you were using cool lingo. I was like, "Your friend's cat, y- your no, friend's yeah. pet." <laughs> so no, it's so anyway. So I used to play drums in a band called Set and Setting. We had two drummers. Well, one day I think after a show or something, me and Steven Handel, the other drummer, he and I were hungover and we went to Guitar Center in Tampa. We had to go pick up probably drumsticks and shit. We may have been leaving for tour. I don't know. But we went over to Guitar Center, and they were closed. And next to Guitar Center is a Save-A-Lot. And I was like, dude, like, I need like a Snickers or whatever. So we go in there to get some food, and I was like, I really want a Mountain Dew. And I go in their fridge, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I pull out this soda, and it's called Mountain Holler. <laughs> it's like the knockoff Mountain Dew. And I was like, ha-ha, look at this thing. This is cool. So we, I buy it. I drink it. I have it. I'm drinking it. We go into Guitar Center, and then uh, – Ryan Zara, which used to shoot a series called St. Pete Beat. And what he would do is modeled after the takeaway shows, the Blagotech series in France, where he would film musicians playing in urban areas. Mm-hmm. So he and I decided to do a shoot, asked me if I would do it. Because at this point, I had been playing out a little bit under the name Mark Etherington. And we went shot in front of the Dali Museum in that little like tree walk area next to the parking garage. And I had all my stuff sitting up on a ledge, and we got done shooting, we get done. And he was like, how do you want me to name, like, what what name should I put you as for this thing, title you as? And I was like, well, I don't really want to do Etherington, because people, you know, it's not an easy name to immediately pick up. So, like, Smith. I know. Or Cole, or, you know, whatever. And so, Steven was like, literally pointed to the bottle. He's like, you should be mountain holler. And I was like, okay, like that's (laughs) silly, but I kind of liked it and whatever. So I I did it and I never thought about it again until I started playing out and people would come up to me like, Oh, now I know why your name mountain holler after my sets. Cause I do, I'm very loud. You know, a lot of my technique you could consider hollering and yelling and yeah, you have it. And it, it, it really, you could imagine like, um, you you're like this wildling from Game of Thrones standing on top of a mountain, yeah, like yelling out to the, like a, the biggest space that you could possibly want your resonance to happen. And right. You know, yeah. Into a, I didn't mean that as an insult. Wildlings are no, that's fucking awesome. Rad. They're fucking badass. Yeah. No, they're awesome. They're my, they're my favorite uh, type of character in Game the of Thrones. The free folk, I should say, yeah. politically correct. Um, no, and that's something that 
I be, like believe me was not intentional, you know, but I have come to embrace it. And I've realized that some of the best names are not like they're kind of given to you, mm-hmm. you know, like, and for whatever reason, that name, that way, the decisions I made that day ten, is, has become this, has become mm. you and me sitting here yeah. talking about it. And, you know, it's totally indicative of the music. It's totally, you know, it, yeah, it just, it works. And for whatever reason, I don't know why that's me for a knockoff soda, <laughs> but. Is there any conflict with not the yet. name? No, not yet. And I like knock on wood because I really hope that I don't like get a cease and desist or we can somehow make a mutual thing. Yeah. When I did Tampa sessions, Joe Giannotti went out and got a case of Mountain Mountain Holler. They still have it? It's not like defunct or anything? No, it's still there. And he was like, we should drink it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to like mix branding. You know, I, I don't want to <laughs> step on their toes. But I do know that You'll if accidentally you accidentally become the new spokesperson yeah, before for like you a, know for it. like a super high <laughs> fructose corn syrup <laughs> sugary drink that I don't drink. But, uh, you know, if you Google search Mountain Holler, I come up first. This now. podcast brought to you by Mountain Holler. No, we have to edit that out. <laughs> by Mountain Holler, me, not the soda. <laughs> yeah, I don't, and I don't ever want to be involved with like cor- corporate yeah. shit, you know. But maybe they're a great company. I don't know. Maybe they're like... Maybe they're probably not. They're probably they're not. Probably not. I'll they're a up. company. But yeah, I mean that's. But a lot of people have come up to me and been like, "Holy shit, I can, I feel like I want to be." What one of my favorite things is like people. People go to the places where I, f- I am in my mind. You know, like there's a lot of times where certain songs remind me of, I imagine sitting in an ancient wood in somewhere singing these songs and people will come up to me after a show and be like, I felt like I was sitting out in nature. Wow. That's, me that's really cool. That's channeling. Yeah. That's like, no. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I'm noticing is happening. Is that like people are coming with me and that's cool because, uh, that's all I ever want is to just play for as many people and have them like for a moment sit and listen you know yeah that's awesome share it with me because that's that's all what art is right sharing it it's you know it reminds me of i read this book series growing up called the um incarnations of immortality sweet it's like a weird sci-fi fantasy series but you know one's about time one's about death one's about fates or whatever and they all kind of tie in but there's this one family in it who, like, you s- you see their progress from, like, the 1200s or whatever the fuck to future times. Mm-hmm. And one of you can tell it's a member of their family because they do this thing where when they, like, when they sing and touch someone, like, the people don't really hear music, but they're, like, affected as if they, like, can feel hmm. something channeling through the people. And I wrote those books when I was little, and for some reason that's always stuck with me. That, that's like, pretty profound. That yeah, that's profound for a little kid to like. But I guess it's just like any. It's like magic, right? Like, yeah, you know the the idea of being able to manipulate your reality or someone else's reality. Yeah, I um, it's so I've been trying to. Re- I just bought this book on magic <laughs> the other really? day at Barnes and Nobles. Yeah, I bought. I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought three books. I bought. Um, like Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Cool. I bought the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and I bought a nice. book on magic. 
And I started astrophysics and was like, I'm in too much of a hurry. And I put it down. <laughs> and I started the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And it's a hard read. Oh, that's it's a that's a textbook. Yeah. Like, you have yeah. to study. You know, it's very, very in-depth. Very, it's it's deep. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was expecting, Um, I guess I was expecting more like, you know, the Bible where it's like people doing things and like telling. It's not really stories. No, it's it's, it's, it's like. It's a textbook for dying. You yeah. Know? Like, and it's like telling you what you have to, yeah. Exactly. It's like homework constantly. Yeah. But so I've been I've been reading that and I haven't even cracked open the book about magic. But what's the book about magic? What kind of magic? It's it's just called um, magic for dummies. Hold on. No, <laughs> it's, it, and it's like a penguins book. So who knows? But it's just like a complete cool. history of magic and the occult or something like oh, that. But great. it's like it's like really fat. And yeah, I don't know too much about it. Um, magic itself. I I like Jason Louvre a lot. I've discovered him through podcasts and stuff and like. It's it seems like from what I do understand, there's a lot of tie ins, though, between specifically Tibetan Buddhism, which is the book I bought and magic, like a lot of, um, you know, daily practices and like mm -hmm. what 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 you put in is what you're going to get out. And uh, the absence of duality kind of the quality of your work is going to essentially represent the quality of your results. Are are you very into magic? Um, I practice. Oh, really? Yeah. It's something I've done since I was younger, and I didn't know that I was doing it. Mm -hmm. But my main – I don't even, like, want to label it or even go too much into detail about it. Um, but I will say that I am a very firm believer in envision and manifesting. Right. And that if you focus on something, a desire or a will or um, – Let's go with a desire. If you focus on a desire strong enough in a repetitive way and you dump a bunch of your intentional energy into it, you may or may not see results. And I had started realizing that I was truly manifesting things that I was strongly focusing on mentally um, to the point where it was like, holy shit, like this is it's real and take it as a grain of salt for those of you listening that don't believe in magic or are really are into magic. It's different for everybody, but I believe in it and I practice it and I, I believe in it and I believe that it's mm -hmm. a pivotal, a pivotal, pivotal part of uh, the reason why I'm on this path. It's definitely, to me, it seems so, and like I said, I haven't really done any in-depth study, just like read things or like a, a very maybe basic and wrong understanding of what it is, but it seems so much like things that other religions do are like tapping into magic without knowing it, like praying out loud, for instance, for mm -hmm. something to happen is the same as you know, putting it out there and trying to manifest that thing yeah, magically. I mean, just or praying in yeah. general, you know, pr you're focusing an intention or you're focusing a will or desire, a whatever it may be, onto an idol or an ideal and then looking for results, you know. And I think, I think magic is basically understanding that you're the conduit of, of of being able to make things just you existing is magical you know what i mean right the, 
I think music is magic. I, I, you know, it's it's multifaceted, and there's many types of magic, and there's white and black and chaos, and you know, so many different different avenues and different things. But I think the one thing that is blanketed overall is that you're the conductor, mm-hmm. you know, and but also understanding your channel, you're you're an antenna or a conduit. I heard this um, this song. I think it's by Nako Bear and the Medicine People. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with them or whatever. My Not very much. My brother showed me them. They have very. Uh, they, it seems like very powerful stuff to me. Mm. Um, but in one song, the the refrain is like he just says, "I'm, I'm the master. I know nothing. I'm the servant. I know something." And mm. it's just like that over mm-hmm. like repeated. And I love that line. That yeah. seems like so full of, I, I, I apply that line to my life every day. Whenever I start to like mm-hmm. get scared about possible outcomes of something that'll happen or try to control events too yeah. tightly or whatever. Yeah. Letting no, that's awesome. And that's, that's a mantra. You know what I mean? Or yeah. it's, it's an incantation depending on how you want to do it. And I have those too, you know, like I have, I have things I repeat to myself um, when I when I want something to come about, you know. And there's that's part of the envision and manifest is if you can, if the idea of something is so strongly in your mind, in your mind's eye that you can see it, you can taste it, you can idealize yourself with it, then naturally I think you're going to make choices that lead you to that. And I think through our actions via consequences, we receive the things we desire good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for the same thing we, you know, we get, you know, your quality of life, how you treat yourself is going to represent the quality of your life that you experience. And, um, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing and something that, people do and don't even realize you know there's little things here and there i think people go about their daily lives routines well yeah and it's something as simple as like um if you wake up if you wake up a little bit late on accident or whatever Mm -hmm. and then on your way out the door you're like oh man I bet traffic's going to be horrible right and then you you get in your car and traffic's horrible Mm -hmm. see yeah Today I'm sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm not saying that everyone that says that makes traffic horrible, but it definitely, you s- you saw it in your mind uh, mind's eye before yeah. the fact. Well, it's also how you perceive your reality. If you wake up a little bit earlier on that same day, and maybe you wake up late, fuck it, you wake up the same situation, but whatever reason you're okay with it and you're in a peaceful mm-hmm. state of mind and you get in your car and instead of saying, God, traffic sucks, you think, oh, well, Nothing there, I can do about it there's now. traffic. <laughs> it gives me more time to listen to my favorite podcast yeah. or it gives me more time to think before I have to go into work. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's all about your perception and how you hypnotize yourself and how you tell yourself things and then you will inevitably see that in your reality. If you tell yourself, fuck, I suck, you know, I suck at I suck at doing podcasts. I suck at making music. I suck at singing. Then you're never gonna progress in a way that's gonna put you in a place that you want to be because you're holding yourself back 
But if you say, if you don't even have to tell yourself, you don't have to pat yourself on the shoulder, but just say, it doesn't matter if I'm good or bad at it. It doesn't matter how other people think about it. What matters is that I love it and I'm doing it. And then you go off, everything else will follow into place. Right. You start there, then, you know, you're going to set yourself up, I think, for success. And very much how we think about ourselves is just as important as what we do, you know, with what we're capable of doing, you know. Awesome. Um, we're almost at an hour right now. Nice. Um, man, this has been so good. We're really... I love this. Yeah, this is awesome. This has been the best talk I've had so far out of my vast library <laughs> of them. Um, Three's also uh, my lucky number. Oh, is it? And it's a really important number to me. Good. So I got excited when I heard that was your. Oh, that nice. was your third podcast. Hell yeah. Um. This, uh, this is a weird question that doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but you have Beatles stuff all over your house. Yeah. Do you think they were like the ultimate? manifestation masters of their desire i think about i think about george harrison all the time in my in my studio i have like a little george harrison altery awesome type thing he's my favorite beetle yeah he's the best beetle um <laughs> that's debatable <laughs> no he is <laughs> but just they blow my mind thinking about him i feel like they must have been on some next level i just think that they're they're a perfect representation of I don't know man they blow my mind like it th- not their music doesn't blow my mind I mean it does sometimes when I hear like Sergeant Peppers so what he's talking about people is that we have this very large uh we have the we have the cover of the Sergeant Peppers Lonely Hearts Club Band album very large in our, a bunch of other Beatles cover coasters oh that's right yeah we have and my cup is actually yeah so the Beatles are very ingrained in our life my mom got me nor uh rubber soul on oh, my okay. way to third grade when we just moved back to Connecticut and I put it in over to listen to it. My mom I love the Beatles and I was like, Whatever's Beatles and then I heard Norwegian Wood, which is track two on Rubber Soul. It was the first time I had ever heard a sitar and I was like which is George. And I was like, Oh like that changed everything. An acoustic guitar with a sitar and hearing john's lyrics on top of that like changed me in a very you know third grade fuck i don't even know how old old, eight nine um they were they just i don't know they i think they just embodied a generation they embodied a moment of time musically and culturally and politically and technologically that just put them on top you know having having george martin as their fifth beetle their fifth member was crucial in what uh, what they did you know he was just as innovative in recording them as they were with their ideas that's when i listen to their albums as they progress through time especially sergeant pepper it's it's so crazy for me what always blows my mind is each little thing that you hear was a decision that someone made yeah to to put that sound in and it could be something that's like way layered in the back that's like barely audible but like even even if just like drawing it out of the ether out of <laughs> yeah. nowhere some of it too is like beautiful mistakes like they only had a four track recorder mm-hmm. you know what i mean or an eight track i don't know what it was it probably progressed but like some of the shit they would record that you hear were scratch tracks left over on the tapes that they couldn't get off yeah and they were like well 
that's part of it now. And then other times it's like, I want to hear this like backwards chattering thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you're experiencing the inside of a human mind, the capabilities of a human mind. Four of them at that, you yeah, know? Yeah, I was about to say, a, colle- a collection of them. Yeah, or five, George Martin and Plissus' assistant. Like, yeah, that's, like, it, to me, it's kind of like Radiohead. Like, I hear things, like Kid A, I don't know if you're a fan of Radiohead. I love Radiohead. I love uh, Mr. Magpie. What's yeah, King, off King of Limbs. King of Limbs, yeah. yeah. But, like, their innovativeness is incredible. But yeah, and I, I actually... I was I was like, do I want to tell him that his voice kind of reminds me of Radiohead? Probably not, because I don't want him to like no. draw conclusion, like that, that, draw comparisons. But <laughs> you like I could, I, I would put King of Limbs and you in like a, a similar category on my iPhone, probably if yeah. in my music list. Yeah, I, I mean, like I really admire Tom York, and there's some things that he does that I admire and incorporate. Maybe not so much now. I don't think about it. I think those habits have been ingrained, but. You know, I was getting really into Radiohead when I turned 18, which is coincidentally when I first bought my I bought my nylon string guitar and started writing songs intentionally as mm-hmm. singer-songwriter. All that happened in the same year. I saw Radiohead at Bonner in 2006. Oh, I was, nice. I was as close as you can get being in the crowd next to the photographer pit, you know. Uh, so Tom York is definitely ingrained in my singing for sure, and even my guitar playing and some stuff, you know. Yeah. Maybe even arrangements, but there's... Yeah, that's a compliment in my mind. Good. Being good. compared to Radiohead, you know. Um, cool, man. Did uh, you have like set questions when you came? No, I had no idea what I was going to talk to you about. Don't, the, yeah. the, the one thing I wanted to ask you, which I which I did ask you, was about. I wrote it down even. <laughs> Oh, it was about how you discovered your unique sound because that's that's such a huge thing. Like I I play at some open mic nights oh, around cool. my house and stuff, and like I have some original songs and I do a bunch of you know covers, but I'm always like, it's so hard to not compare yourself to other people. Like my style of playing is totally different from yours, and. And mm-hmm. it's hard for me to s- hear you play and then be like, what What the fuck am I doing? Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> even though they're not even like. Yeah, we're similar. not the same. Yeah. Or like uh, I'll listen to Jimi Hendrix play a riff and be like, why am I playing this acoustic guitar love song right now? Right. Like, None of this matters. That yeah. matters. Yeah. That's, but that's the thing, though, is you can't compare yourself. Yeah, exactly. And that's for that's. For me, that's why I was interested in asking, because for me, that's a huge challenge. And sure. it seems like you've definitely, I, I don't know your psyche, but you seem further progressed in that challenge than I am currently. So Sure, thanks. Uh, it's also, you know, like I've I started, like I said, started doing it when I was 18, really playing and writing songs and singing and like basically playing guitars and play, playing, writing songs and singing. That essentially really started when I was 18 in this channel. Um, and then at about 23, 24, it's when Mountain Holler was born. And then probably a few years after that really started knowing what, knowing how to, knowing what I wanted for myself, how to sound, being able to communicate how I wanted to sound to sound engineers, sound, you know, like live sound and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's one thing that I was, I was 
pretty impressed by when you did your live music showcase is you were telling Mark, the actual audio engineer, mm-hmm. like, and they don't have like a crazy system or whatever, but you, you really got your sound in that little recording studio room live show on a tiny little mixer with some like stock reverb on it and stuff. Yeah. It was super cool. Well, it's just it's like, uh, that's why I started. You know what I mean? Like I literally started when I used to play shows and like if I wasn't playing at a venue that had a PA, I would have to bring one and I was borrowing a friend's powered mixer, those big hunk- mm-hmm. hunky fucking brick things and one speaker, one twelve, <laughs> and I used to carry that around and I'd put the mixer on top of the speaker and that's all I had. I'd all borrowed gear, but it had reverb on it. And I learned basically with that little setup with a three band EQ system, volume and a few different types of reverbs. That's how I started being able to understand how to manipulate a board to create the sound that I wanted Mm -hmm. to, you know? So now when I go into a place, I can communicate and be like, you know, I want boost the low ends, crank the subs, let me hear your house verb. Do you have this? Do a pre-delay. Cut the trail. You know what? I just communicate. You know. Yeah. But also trust in the engineer to know what it is that the the overall goal of the sound that they're looking for is mm-hmm. in the room. You know. And that's something that I like. I'm glad that I can be able to do because it was frustrating when I was younger and doing it, and I didn't know how to communicate that. Right. I, I. It would it would almost detach me from the live performance because. I, I was a little unsatisfied, but now I feel like I, and also that, inc- inc- that also pushed me to getting my own vocal processor mm-hmm. so I could do it myself. It's, it's nice to be able to be in control of your own sound. Yeah, I bet. In a live setting. Yeah. And then the one thing that, I don't know, I'm sure it was on the end of the sample. I probably made sure to include it because I feel like it's a good novelty drive staple, but I just, I like to ask my guest to, even though right now I'm really your guest, <laughs> to um, just try to think of something that that only you're capable of to affect some person that you come across randomly in the next couple of days. Something that no one else, like, they'll, they'll only benefit because you happen to cross their path. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Pertain a uniqueness in a positive way onto someone else. Yeah, just some... I like that. Anyone. Yeah, I heard you were talking to, uh, who is the, the Feral Podcast? Dustin Marshall. He was like, you telling me to do this? Yeah, he was like, Are you t- I don't like taking orders. But like, yeah, he was, he was joking. At I know, but but yeah. he probably doesn't like being told what to do, you know, and neither do I. However, I do like this because it's a practice in self-awareness and also uh, a practice in recognizing that you're, you affect other people. You affect the people you're around a lot, you know, and I think that's something we need to be very aware of is like, recognize that your actions resonate amongst everyone that you're surrounded by stranger or friend Mm -hmm. or foe, you know? And, and I don't say it like saying that I'm the chi master that does it all the time because (laughs) actually today my girlfriend reminded, she said, remind she, she was like, you need to do this just like you always like, just like you want to ask people to do on your podcast because I was sitting at a traffic light in Orlando and there's tons of like panhandlers or whatever. Yeah. Human beings. Right. And, um, (laughs) I was looking at my phone and this dude walked by my window with a sign and I was just like, I'm going to keep looking at my phone. Yeah. I'm not going to look up. And he stopped by my car and like waved his arm at me. And there was a huge line of cars and I was in the middle. Like, 
Yeah. And he stopped at my car, and I looked at him, and he like did a slow motion salute. And I have nothing on my car. There's nothing about me that would indicate you should salute me. So I texted my girlfriend, and I was like, I think I just failed the universe <laughs> somehow. <laughs> she was like, Yeah, you just gotta. I think just gotta do exactly what you ask the people on your podcast to do. Well, yeah, it's a little reminder, right? There's a little reminder that there's an interconnectivity that you're not even aware of. You were in the Marines, right? Yeah, yeah like that's. There you go, man. Yeah, like it's so it was really was weird that he stopped at my car and and did that. Maybe that guy's maybe that guy is, you know, uh, he's more tapped in than we are. You know? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, you don't know that. There's a practice that I heard. Um, I think it, I don't think it was Sharon Salzberg. It was um, someone else, some some other Buddhist teacher. And I love Sharon Salzberg. Actually, I've I've listened to. She's amazing. I don't, I mean, I'd say I love her, but I've listened to like three or four podcasts. You do with love her. On her. It. I love she, her too. Yeah. yeah, she 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 needs the love because she's irradiates it. But one of the this other Buddhist woman was saying that her one of her practices is just walking down the street and everybody you see go Buddha, Buddha, hmm. Buddha, because you don't know who Buddha is. You don't know where someone's awareness is at in their life. Someone might be a panhandler on the street but be far more enlightened or in, in tune than you and i are yeah you know? yeah and that's that reminds me of another thing pretty pretty much similar that's like your guru may come to you in the form of conflict the person mm-hmm. that cuts you off in in traffic that could be like the guru that you need yeah. you know like teaching you a lesson and that me ig- ignoring that guy that was just asking for money holding a sign in a, on a hot day in the summer and then him saluting at me really like well if you think uh, about it too like you 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 made a conscious decision you knowingly yeah i made said, a, a I bad will not decision on purpose it's not well it's not bad that's the thing it's, it no, wasn't it's I not like you like selfish decision on it's not purpose. like you rolled the window down and we're like fuck you <laughs> get a fucking job like that would have been bad but you just be, you were basically like avoiding conflict you were avoiding a potentially awkward situation however the lesson to be learned is don't impose judgment onto a situation, right? Yeah, the guru just teaches you, right? The, the guru opens yourself up to yourself. And, you know, those little reminders throughout your day when your projection just slaps you right back in the face, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, don't make assumptions and definitely do not assume a situation or an interconnectivity that the universe provides for you. And that's something that I struggle with. You know, when I go play a show, I really, really try not to um, impose any sort of prejudgment as to how the show's going to go, how the sound guy's going to be, how the sound's going to be, how the other bands are, who the drinks are going to be, what I'm offered. I try not to make, I try to walk into every show or instance with another human being with a blank slate as a with a beginner's mind and that is something i'm really working on immediately right now just like you and i today i was i get nervous doing these sort of things because i'm an overthinker i i i want things to be awesome i want every artistic outcome to be as best as it can be but what i've learned is that you can't force anything and you don't know everything it's it, you take doing that takes you out of the moment mm-hmm. it closes your eyes and so before you got here, I was like, all right, I'm going to go get coffee. I came back. 
and it kept it was perfect because you kept being further. I kept getting you kept later being delayed, and right? Yeah. And that kept giving me time to like me and Cherokee went on a long. She's sitting right here, so I'm not gonna say it. But we went on a long W A L K, mm. you know, which gave me time to think, which gave me time to listen to your sample, which gave me time to reflect on this day, which also gave me the reminder to not try to think about what to say or what how it's gonna go. And I came in here and. I wanted to write down this dream that I had, but I didn't have to think I had time. And then you said, like, I'm still 20 <laughs> minutes away. And I was like, well, perfect. I'm going to sit down. And then you got lost and allowed for me to finish my journal, you know, my dream entry. So, you know, everything, it's it's just funny. Like, you can't, we can't force anything. Right. We can just provide an opportunity for ourselves with a clear beginner's mind to accept whatever a situation may be. And instead of trying to change it or control it, we just react to it in a genuine way. And hopefully we get what we want out of it. Or maybe not. We just, we don't, I don't know. There, you know hopefully get what you need. Yeah, exactly. You may not get what you want, but you get what you need. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, this has been great. Again, I've said that a bunch of times where we went over the time that I was hoping for, which is awesome. We I, could do this all day. Yeah. And I'm totally down. This is amazing. Um, I can't do this all day. I have to go <laughs> yeah, what to time Tampa, roll to Brandon. Yeah. I have a thing. My, my girlfriend's grandparents want me to, they're, they're visiting and there's a thing at like eight and a I need th- a, a thing, a like guitar thing. And I need to repair my guitar before I go and they want to watch. So it's like, I need to make sure that my window of time is. You're, you're allocating. Yeah. It's yeah. four o'clock on a Monday. Traffic's going to be a bitch getting into Brandon. I would take this guy away. Generally is. Yeah, I, I always do. I have California license plates, so. Oh, nice. I don't pay that shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you take this guy away up to 75 North and cut in through Gibsonton Riverview? That's how I come. Oh, no, no, no. I, no. Maybe sometimes. A lot of times I exit over by the mall so w- and then cut cut through onto Lumsden. Try going through like Gibsonton Riverview and go Fishhawk Boulevard to Pinecrest. Yeah. I always find that to be like a pretty... I used safe shot. I used to live at that apartment complex right there on the water, Alafaya. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. What's it called? It's I think it's, it's called like the preserve at Alafaya. Yeah. 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 I've always wondered about that. Is it really on the Alafaya? Yeah, that's it does wind through there. You, the that exit right before it is the seventy five going over the river. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a big old bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I grew up canoeing and kayaking on the Alafaya. Yeah, I go the Alafaya runs right behind the house now yeah. so i go canoeing i start up forward and go down to lithia springs all the time yeah it's, it's cool like that my favorite activity yeah we have like the alify river nature preserve which is yeah. like shares the space with river hills yeah my, like from my house i can just walk out and then i'm in the woods that's right awesome away, take yeah my we, dog out there. we used to go like sneak behind people's houses cut through the woods and the hunting trails and go camp next to the the river on the beach yeah yeah it's, it's pretty nice till the hogs come yeah right alright for real now though I'm gonna cut off it's been awesome talking to you I would love to keep talking to you but yeah we got things to do (laughs) um do you have a website Instagram handle Twitter where do you want people to find you yeah you can find me on Instagram at mountain holler m-o-u-n-t-a-i-n h-o-l-l-e-r um Facebook I think it's Facebook at mountain holler just google search mountain holler and all that pops up I'm also on like iTunes Spotify, Amazon Prime, any mainstream streaming service my first EP is on. And there's something else 
that I wanted you to say. Oh, I don't know exactly when this is going to publish, but do you have shows, tour, anything like that yeah, happening or regular playing? There's a. I don't have any residencies, but um, if you're hearing this and it's the winter of 2018, um, I'll be playing around quite a bit in Florida, including Fort Myers, Newport Ritchie, Tampa, Ybor, St. Pete. And if you're hearing this in 2019... Uh, I will be playing around quite a bit uh, across, hopefully across the country. So there's some things in the works. They're just not detailed right now. So Awesome. And if it's cool with you, at the end of this podcast, I can embed one of your songs or something. Yeah, Is for that sure. Okay? Yeah, totally. Awesome. So stick around. Um, you'll get to have your mind blown by beautiful music. <laughs> and thank you so much, man. This has been awesome. Thank you, Lee. All right.
Thank you.